0: number one grass, baseball podcast It's stat cast it's that blast tops plus when the stats need contrast zips and steamer for the forecast makers on the butt feet never say your hot seat games are always better with the pivot table spreadsheet no ads subscribers will support us vroom vroom fast on so your slog to a mortis Hello and welcome to episode 2069 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindberg of The Ringer, joined by Meg Rally of Fangraphs. Hello, Meg. Hello, Ben. (laughs) There was a bit of a mishap when we were trying to do our (laughs) intro just now, but but that's okay. No one else heard it.
1: Yeah, (laughs) we're here. It's
0: just an inside joke between me and Meg. Maybe we'll share some of it at the very end of the episode if you want to (laughs) hear some outtakes from how that went. So, we're recording the last episode of our week, the day before the Division Series start. We'll probably talk a little bit about that. We want to do some emails. And also, I have an important pressing question for you, which is, how do you feel about peanuts at baseball games? Eating them, that is.
2: Oh, not the characters. (laughs) No. No. And not eating the characters either, because boy, that. that would no. be traumatic for the children there. Yeah, probably for the adults too. Um, I like a good peanut, Ben. Mm-hmm. They're not my go-to ballpark snack, just because like they're for a thing that isn't wet. <laughs> 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 they're low-key pretty messy, you know. It, yes, I know some people advocate just popping the whole the whole sucker in your mouth and eating the oh, and just spitting shell. it out. Or no, eating you just the eat shell. It. Yeah, it's not bad. <gasps>
0: Really? I don't know yeah. that I've ever done that.
2: It's quite a hefty load of fiber you're getting, I think, <laughs> cool. when you yeah. do that. But uh, they're not my go-to, it, in large part because of the mess, and also in large part because of the largeness of uh, the bags that they tend to sell. Like, There's just so much, you know, like I want a modest handful of peanuts, mm-hmm. but you get this big bag, and I know you can take it with you, but um, the yeah. sodium load is just like, yeah. like a headache waiting to happen. So, yeah, yeah. That's how I
0: feel about Cracker Jack, too. The slogan of Cracker Jack is the more you eat, the more you want. And I find it to be the exact opposite. (laughs) I mean, that's generally how food works is the more you eat, at some point, hopefully, the less you want, right? At right. least for, for a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> See, You're not just infinitely consuming Cracker Jack until you burst. Like, it sounds right. dangerous. It sounds like you're spiraling. It's like a, a self-perpetuating cycle where you just want more and more and more. And, and then you just, it sounds, it could be fatal eventually if that, if that were actually true, that the more you eat, the more you want and, and you had yeah. no impulse control. But... I, I feel definitely that the less I want, the more I eat. <laughs> so uh, that that marketing has not worked for me. And also, I always forget whether it's Cracker Jack or Cracker Jacks because yeah. it just it seems like it should be Jack. Jack's. I, I know it's it's not like Jacks. It's you know a Jack is a name, but but it feels like it should be. Can I have some Cracker Jacks? Not yeah. some Cracker Jack. So
2: crackers Jack.
0: Yeah, crackers jack. Right. Exactly. Also
2: there are yeah, also, like if we're gonna we're committed to this bit for a second now. They're not crackers.
0: No. Mm
2: It's popcorn.
0: Yeah. I guess yeah. they they crack, maybe, like a Oh, a, is that I don't know. Snap, but crackle like, and pop kind of rice Krispies sort of. Also <laughs> sound, not crackers. No. Man. Yeah.
2: <sighs> I
0: mean, maybe it comes from like Cracker Jack, like uh, old-timey slang about uh, Cracker Jack, is is something that's good. Maybe maybe that's oh, like, what it oh, is. Oh, that's
2: like a, or is a, a it Cracker
0: Jack snack?
2: Yeah, it's a, yeah. Is it old-timey <laughs> or just British?
0: <laughs> I don't know.
1: I
2: don't know either. Anyway, but.
0: the reason I brought this up, <laughs> there was one, uh. is is that I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal about how. The peanut lobby, the peanut marketers, Big Peanut, they're They're trying to get Japanese baseball fans hooked on peanuts at oh. the ballpark. The the American Peanut Council is, oh uh, is just trying to export peanuts. I mean, they have peanuts, they eat peanuts, but not at the ballpark specifically, huh. even though, obviously, they're huge baseball fans, and sure. that would be a, a big market if you could get peanuts into the Japanese ballparks and get the fans there hooked on it, sure. but- it has not worked very well thus far for it sounds like a few reasons. One is that they already have great food at yeah. their ballparks. So they don't they don't need our garbage snacks. Yeah, they're
2: not in the market.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like peanuts, by the way. I mean I prefer to have them shelled for, for ease of use and less litter. But you eat but, the
2: whole shell Ben. Mm, I
0: don't know. But that's that's part of the problem is that culturally they are less comfortable it seems with just rampant littering oh, <laughs> the, yeah, sure. than we are. So they're like, wait, what do you mean? Like I just I Throw just toss the toss this everywhere and someone has to come along and clean yeah. it up later? That seems pretty inconsiderate. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's one objection that that has sort of hampered the peanut uptake. And then the other is that they're not really into vendors just, like, throwing it at them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they want, like, a more more orderly so experience. Yeah, so they've switched to, like, promoters handing out samples of peanuts, like, politely, you know, like, at, at the turnstiles instead of just having people fling them at you willy-nilly, right? Yeah. So, So basically Americans are animals and we just litter and our garbage goes everywhere and we tossed food at each other and we're completely comfortable with that. But but that hasn't traveled overseas quite as well. So they're having to adjust the American ballpark peanut traditions. But but I say, I mean, it mentions in the story like all the the savory snacks, the gourmet options that they have at Japanese parks anyway. Like if you've got edamame and you've got steamed beans sprinkled with salt and you've got fried noodles and bento boxes and yeah. Why would you need peanuts? They're so bland. I mean they can be roasted, they can be salted, they can they can be tasty. I like grabbing a handful of of hopefully pre-shelled peanuts from time to time, but definitely not a the more I eat the more I want sort of situation.
2: Yeah. I think that like they like you said, they have good options. And so, why would you why would you go in search of other savory snacks? I it is it is kind of odd now that I think about it that we're just like yeah, throw your trash on the ground, it's fine, mm-hmm. and then like we expect people to be like it's to, to know that they shouldn't throw other trash on. The ground. This trash is fine. Yeah, I know right. that. This, so, like, that's it's organic. Like a,
0: it's it's biodegradable, so we can. Right, just, but it's a
2: concrete concrete. Right. It's not going to biodegrade yeah, into
0: that. No, if if people concrete. don't come along and sweep it up, right. you'd just be sitting in like thigh high peanut shells at the yeah. end of the season. So yeah. it's not just going to go away. I mean, maybe it'll blow away. away. Maybe like no. birds will will come and carry it oh, away. Oh yeah, and, that's
2: definitely <laughs> what you want. Is like let this be a vermin address. Birds right. aren't vermin, but you know what I mean. It's like you leave organic stuff laying around and creatures are going to come come for it yeah spirited
0: away yeah
2: yeah and and do you have ballpark cats i don't know like if you don't then what's taking care of the possums and like i know that what some ballparks try to do a couple times a year is like they'll have peanut free sections of the ballpark because you know some people have really intense peanut allergies such that even contact is a problem so like I think it would be fine if I mean if you want to eat a peanut do eat a, eat a peanut like the ship has sailed in in the US market but I I don't know that I mind resisting peanut imperialism. I, <laughs> that seems like a worthy project perhaps. <laughs> There's just the bags are so big, Ben, you yeah. know. Like can I get a cup of pe- <laughs> You know at at Chase and I have I have um at times been kind of down on the concession options at Chase uh, and I stand by that. But like you can get like a like a little Paper cone of nuts. Like, mm-hmm. and you can get all kinds, Ben. You can get peanuts. You can get like a, they have like a sweet spiced nut. They, they roll it in something and those are tasty. So, like, that's like a good, that's a perfect amount of ballpark nut. Cause yeah. you just have a little, you know, like walking around cone <laughs> of uh-huh. like paper bag of, but it's cone shaped of, of uh, good roast nuts. Um, mm-hmm. But the big bags are so much. It's just like, you know, you're going to give yourself a, a headache with all that salt. Uh, yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Right. And then if it's not salted, it's just a little bit too it's bland, just a bland. A little at a certain too point. bland. Yeah. yeah.
2: Hmm, mm. much to consider.
0: <laughs> and this is definitely the best time to consider it, so I'm I'm glad we did that. Look, I mean, talking about the Vision series that are about to start and will be over in a few days, what's the shelf life on that? You know, right. we want to keep these podcasts evergreen, so if, if someone finds yeah. this episode three years from now, that will be no less useless than it was just right. now, bantering about Peanuts.
2: You know, that's probably the shelf life of Peanuts, Right? So you know, <laughs> full circle on that from a concept perspective.
0: The shell
1: life.
2: <laughs> you got to just eat the shells. I'm trying to remember who told me that that you should just eat the shells. And then I tried it one time, and I was like, you know what? That wasn't bad. You know, huh. I don't know if I'd want to eat a whole bag of peanuts that way because it might it might mess with your gut a little bit. But yeah. um, but you know, as a bit of variety in the monotony of peanuts, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yep. here we are talking about nuts.
0: Yep. <laughs> So, I have no segue from that to talking about actual playoff baseball. You know but, <laughs> who
2: else enjoys the spice nuts at Chase Field? The Arizona mm. Diamondbacks. You know who they're playing in the division series? The Los Angeles Dodgers. Gazinga, professional podcaster.
0: Maybe yeah. Do they do they enjoy the concession? I have no options idea. There they play there, but I don't they know if they, if they have a chance. They probably get fancier spreads than that, but I hope so. yeah. They they are doing that. They are, they are doing that. The, the Dodgers. That is true. I can yeah. confirm that, that that is true. So we've previewed that series. That is going to be happening. Yeah. So.
2: <laughs> All done. <laughs> there will be nuts in game three, potentially in game four, if they manage to extend the series that long.
0: So you're something of a Diamondbacks specialist. This is uh, <laughs> this is obviously a bit of a mismatch on paper, yeah. right? So, so are there any factors that that make you think it will be less of a mismatch in actuality?
2: So, what a good question, Ben. Ben Clemens previewed this series for us at at Fangraphs, and I will I will acknowledge his preview as I draw some things from it. Like I, I think that you're right. It isn't that the Diamondbacks lack for aspects of their team that I think are really good and competitive, but I think that if you were to if you were to highlight a problem sort of across the board for them, it might be depth. They have Zach Allen, they have Merrill Kelly. They have other starters, you know, like they're they don't really have much in the way of starting depth. Now, they happen to be encountering a Dodgers team that itself is the thinnest in the rotation that it has been in quite some time. So, you know, perhaps the advantage isn't quite as strong, but they have some good, legitimately very good hitters in their lineup. But their ability to boast like a really deep and complete lineup still, I think, a work in progress. They also don't have much, Ben highlighted this in... In his preview, like it's a pretty static lineup. Like their bench options are pretty limited. They aren't necessarily ones where you're like, well, they're going to be able to sort of mix and match as they need to. You know, you look at the top of that uh, lineup and it's like Corbin Carroll, pretty good at baseball. Cattell Marte, pretty good at baseball, having a great season. You know, Tommy Pham has played pretty, really well for them mm-hmm. um, since coming over. But uh, Christian Walker had like a quietly very good offensive season. We don't Really, I think at this point, know what the status of Gabriel Moreno is, and that I think is going to be a a pretty pivotal piece of this for them, because it's like Jose Herrera, and I think their third catcher is still Sebi Zavala, so like... Mm. Uh-oh, that mm-hmm. seems not good. You know, he was inactive for the wildcard series, but I um, imagine will be active for uh, the division series, depending on what the state of Gabriel Moreno is from a concussion perspective. They'll be without Jake McCarthy, who wasn't active for the NL series. I don't know what his his status is specifically for the the DS, but it didn't sound like he was, you know, certain to return. He actually can't return. He was mm-hmm. replaced. As an, mm-hmm. He had an injury replacement, so he can't come back until the championship series. My My mistake. So, and, and then, you know, they have they have guys like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Evan Longoria and Geraldo Perdomo, who I say that way because that's how the PA announcer at Chase says it. But it's like, you know, then you're getting into like the Jace Petersons and the Pavan Smiths and exciting, potentially, but inexperienced guys like Jordan Lawler. So there's that piece of it. And then like the Apple Pen is. Very shaky Ben. It's yeah. um, you know, it's a very it's a very um nervous kind of time. So mm-hmm. that seems not great. Paul Seawald started out pretty badly for them when he came over from Seattle. His um September was much, much better. But, you know, like they have Paul Seawald, Ginkle's been okay as a setup guy, but then it's like, you know, there's been a lot of Miguel Castro, there's been a lot of like Joe Mantiply, there's been a lot of like Ryan Nelson and Sal Frank, Andrew Sal Frank, what a name. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think that that presents a problem for them because I don't know that I'm even with sort of a, in relative terms, compromised Dodgers rotation. Are they going to be able to piece enough together as an offense to really put up big run production, which might be necessary because even if, you know, you get really good lights up performances from gallon and Kelly and fought holds his own, like, there's a lot of vulnerability in that bullpen, and lest we forget, the Dodgers have like really good hitters. Ben, I mm-hmm. don't know if you've heard of these guys, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, but they're like yep. really very good. And mm-hmm. then you know you have you have Will Smith, who's no slouch, and you have Max Muncie, and like I think that LA's ability to sort of mix and match and deploy their hitters, you know, starting with those really great guys at the top, and then having greater depth behind them is is pretty enviable and might prove to be a real problem for the Diamondbacks. They can, because they're, bullpen is so good, even though when we were d- doing our draft, I was sitting there listening to you guys talk about the bullpen and I was like, how many of the Dodgers bullpen arms can I name with confidence? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know, for, for that group, which in the past has had like obvious, really great standouts, it's a much more anonymous collection, but they have been really good, particularly in the second half. And so... Mm-hmm. I just, I, I worry that, you know, from a matchups perspective, L.A. has just a, a really obvious advantage. Now, Dodgers fans are going to be like, you're giving Dave Roberts credit for we're dealing with matchups well in the postseason, and to that I say, like, yeah, okay, you're going to see Joe Kelly, you guys. That's going to happen to you. You need to make your peace now and just realize that while you are freaking out about Joe Kelly, like you know Diamondbacks fans are like oh my god we have to see Miguel Castro again like it's mm-hmm. Miguel Castro time it's time for Luis Frias like this is what we're doing so you know there's there's i think just a lot more optionality in LA's roster in a way that is really useful particularly in a short series where you're like i'm just going to play a bunch of matchups and see how it goes and you know i don't have to have these guys fresh forever it just has to get them through like a five game set so there's that and D-backs fans are like but Meg like what hope do we have and I'll say this <laughs> first of all Corbin Carroll and Ketel Marte are really good at baseball so like you do have ways to score on this team and like Perdomo's been an effective platoon option for them this year and like Mevin Longoria can still run into the ball and like you know Alec Thomas hit like a home run in that Brewers series in a way that just doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense to anybody. So like, you know, it's a short series a lot can happen. One thing that Ben highlighted in his preview that I think is smart if you're thinking about like, where are the places where you might grab an edge that really makes a difference in a short series and can be like the weird funny thing that sort of tips the balance when you might on paper be at a supreme disadvantage. Like the D-backs are a very good base running team. And yep. Will Smith isn't like a slouch back there. He's not bad, but they have pressed the advantage there all year. And it's not just the base stealing, although there is that. You know, we talked about this when I drafted that unit as part of our draft. Like, they have this really good combination of guys who are good adept base stealers, very fast. You know, Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, Prudomo can handle himself there but you also have a lot of guys who while they aren't fast aren't detracting from anything like even Christian Walker is like a pretty good base runner even if he's not putting up big base stealing totals because he's not super fast so I think that like that's an interesting thing to watch and there's always the possibility that like Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly just have lockdown performances and yeah. it's really great and then the d-backs get to jump in their pool again at some point mm-hmm. how do we feel about that? Is like a i don't know that that's a it feels can i can i be like um a can can i be nervous for a minute doesn't it feel mm-hmm. like a good way for someone to get injured in a dumb way like, doesn't it feel like it just lends itself to dumb injury that you're going to look back on and be like, I can't believe that we were without Probably, yes ex-player for the rest of the postseason because he slipped on the... <laughs> Dove the, into the shallow yeah. ends.
0: I guess I mean, they're they all did, shallow ends, but yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. So, anyway, those are a bunch of words about the D-backs and the Dodgers. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I expect L.A. to win, but nothing surprises me in the postseason. No, well, that's of not true. Not. But, yeah. like, well, you know, when, <laughs> when teams... Nothing almost nothing when teams that are viewed as underdogs uh, end up pulling it out it's like yeah and like you know maybe the way you do that is by being Corbin Carroll and having 80 grade speed and you know he's not just fast he's like a good base runner he's smart about about these things so yeah
0: yeah when people when people are like uh how would this team beat That team, and you come up with, like, well, if they win, then that means that uh, they will have gotten the starters out and they will have gotten into the bullpen and they'll have worked the count early. Like, there's this, like, X has to happen in order for, for Y to. It's like, not really, though. <laughs> right. You know, like, they could win just because uh, the Dodgers had a few bad games and the Diamondbacks had a couple of good games and, and they just happened to hit and and uh, get some fluky clutchness and the Dodgers didn't and there's really no right. way to, to say, like, the, the only path to winning this series for the Diamondbacks is if they do this or that. No, I mean, they could just uh, crush everyone they face right. and it would not be that weird if that happened. But I understand uh, people crave some sort of insight or analysis and just saying they might have a couple good games and they might have a couple bad games probably does not qualify.
2: Well, and like, you know, I think one thing that that Ben highlighted in here he highlighted this and I will do the same like Robert Orr wrote a really good piece for Baseball Prospectus about Kelly and sort of how he's managed to have the season that he has because you know, I think that if you were to ask A fan of baseball generally who doesn't like watch the Diamondbacks, which fine, they might not be aware of the kind of season that he's had. They might think of him as a guy who like, didn't he have like KBO seasons? Like what kind of starter? Has he really been in the majors? And he's had a a great year. He has a super deep repertoire. He's able to throw a lot of stuff at guys, but he's also been dependent on guys like chasing junk. And, you know, one thing that that Dodgers lineup doesn't really do, I don't do mm-hmm. a lot of junk, you know, they right. tend to yeah. be discerning. They have really excellent pitch recognition. They are disciplined around the zone. And so will they be able to neutralize his sort of greatest strengths? I don't know. We're going to find out. Like, they haven't had great luck against him this year. But that's like, you know, you talk about Betts and Freeman, they've. They have like twenty two combined plate appearances against him this year, so who the hell knows? You know, we're gonna <laughs> mm-hmm. we're gonna have to find out. I will be there for game three.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, we have to plan podcasts around that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I have I've looked at that and written about that sort of thing before like pitchers who rely on getting chases and they they throw a lot of pitches outside the strike zone and it it does seem like yeah, if you have a lineup that's very selective then as you would expect that would be bad news for them, but it's it's hardly destiny or set in stone that that happens. They might have a day where they're getting chases and the other team can't resist. Or other things might go right for them or wrong for the other guys, but you're only looking for small edges, right? And and often you don't even know if the edge actually was, was why something happened or if it just happened for some other unrelated reason. But it's kinda entertaining to try to figure that out. So I guess the other NL series, Braves Phillies, obviously a lot of history there, a lot of rivalry so there. So <laughs>
2: excited for this, Ben.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm more excited for Rangers Orioles just like as a matchup of mm. of talent, I guess, but but Braves Phillies, just like you know, as those guys have played each other a ton, and they have a history and relationship, and they played last year in the playoffs. Like that, that adds certainly something to it. Yeah, and I guess a lot of it is kind of coming down to Freed's availability as we yeah. speak. It it seems like he is going to be able to go in Game Two. That the blister will be okay, but uh, blisters can be finicky. But yeah. That's a pretty big difference, obviously. If if he can go in game two and potentially game five, as yeah. opposed to Elder and someone, <laughs> that's that's a, a fairly big swing.
2: Yeah, I think that when Dan did the Zips projections for his preview, like with Freed, there odds are much, much better than they
1: are. Yeah, yeah. Like
2: without him, I think they are still favored in the series regardless. But it does make a meaningful difference whether he's able to to go or not.
0: Yeah, he he ran it so that like I think his first projection was with it seems like he might be back, but also kinda hedging and maybe not. And in that case it's like a 59-41 Braves. Right odds of victory and if you do give freed game two and potentially game five then it's like a 66 34 which is big as these things yeah. go right so yeah yeah and you know that's uh, we're waiting to hear about Scherzer too and what his right. status is. So there's a little bit of, even though these series are about to begin, some uncertainty about some pretty important starting pitching assignments.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm rooting for an unkind thing when it comes to this series, Ben. And it's unkind specifically to the starting pitching. I want these games to all end like 10 to 7. I just want to see. All of the big boppers on the Braves and all of the big boppers on the Phillies just trading blows the entire time. <laughs> yeah, and that great. isn't a nice thing to wish on a pitching staff. And I'm sure that not every game is going to manifest that way just because even though Freed is in doubt, like there there is some very good starting pitching in this series. And, you know, there's some really good relievers for that matter, but... I I do think that the main attraction here is the hitters because boy are they fun. They're they're so fun. They're mm-hmm. they're almost all fun. Not all of them are fun. I won't name the ones that aren't fun because that's unkind, but like they're almost all fun, Ben, you know? Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, a slugfest would be nice. I would be perfectly content with a slugfest between these two teams. That would be guys. That'd be great. Yeah. So, high-scoring games, lots of lead changes. Uh, I would welcome that. Bring it on, yeah. please. Yeah.
2: Shall we look at AL stuff now? Yeah, Do you want to talk yeah. about the AL stuff? Shall I start with sure. Twins and and Astros? I mean, I think that one of the things that I've been struck by. So this is, I I edited the the Twins preview that Twins Astros preview that, that Jake wrote, and you know I edited the Twins Blue Jays preview that Ben wrote, and I think that I mentioned this last time, but that I was really, or maybe when we were drafting, really struck by like how different the second half of the season was for the twins from an offensive perspective. And they have a really close parallel with the Astros in that regard. The twins have a really strong rotation. They have a good bullpen. I think that, you know, they have an edge there against the Astros, even if it's slight on the reliever side. And these two teams were like really similar in terms of how their offense progressed over the course of the year. They both had, you know, big injuries early on. The twins had big injuries late. They had sort of production, pick up for some of those guys, you know, when you look at the Astros, L2V came back. Jordan Alvarez came back. They both had really strong second halves. And then you look at the twin side of things like they got, a lot of really good production from some of the younger guys, even as Buxton and Correa were hurt or ineffective or some combination of both. Um, so, you know, we've already seen what Royce Lewis can do, Edward Julian and Matt Walner, and, you know, they've gotten good years out of Kiriloff and Max Kepler for that matter. So like they kind of came on much stronger in the second half, similar to the Astros. And so I think that there's mm-hmm. like this understanding that the twins are, the worst team on paper. And I think that they are, but I think it's much closer than I had appreciated before. I was like in the weeds on the Twins by editing these. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is a good Astros team. It's one that certainly improved as the season went on, but they are not quite the powerhouse that they have been in in prior years. And they're dealing with their own sort of injury and ineffectiveness issues, particularly in the rotations. Like they're going to have Erlander go game one. We've seen him be really great for them this year. We've also seen him be sort of middling both for the Astros and previously for the Mets. He's not the guy he was. And, you know, then they'll they'll send out Valdez and Christian Javier and Urquidy. But, like, they're younger guys who helped them get through the season really seem to run out of steam as the second half progressed you know mm-hmm. I we're not gonna see Hunter Brown or JP France start for them whereas like the rotation has been a real strength for Minnesota for pretty much the entire year we've already seen what like Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray can do in the postseason we're gonna get Joe Ryan you know it's I think this one might be really tight like if I were gonna pick any of these to go a full, 5 I think I'd probably pick this one if I were like forced to only choose one amongst mm-hmm. the four series because I do think that these teams are are not perfectly evenly matched but much more evenly matched than people are really appreciating and as Jake pointed out like there are some obvious strengths that Houston has from a, a strikeout perspective that might be a problem for a Twins lineup that has been very strikeout prone but the other one, is a little bit harder for the Astros to exploit because the Twins have really struggled against left-handed pitching, but that's not, you know, the team that Houston is putting out there these days. So, like, yeah. they will be able to, you know, have Julianne and Walner and Kiriloff in the mix much more early on than they might otherwise, where they would otherwise have to rely on, like, Kyle Farmer and Donovan Solano and Willie Castro. So, I don't know. I'm I'm excited for this one. If they win two postseason series in a row Minnesota, did they get, like, an extra prize? Because <laughs> what will Twins fans do? I'll be so happy for Twins fans if that ends up being true. I, I don't really – I don't have a horse in the race here, but it's so nice to not just – like exercise your demons, but like really get them out of the house, you know um mm-hmm. sort of like last year where it was like it wasn't enough for Seattle to win the wild card. They needed a home playoff game. you know they needed to advance beyond that round so that no one could be like, actually the wild card doesn't count as the postseason. <laughs> so you know I'm I'm hoping that twins fans get to like really you know get the get the ghosts out and they're mm-hmm. ghosts because it's the spooky season. Ben it's spooky month.
0: We did a little entrance survey for the division series at the Ringer, just kind of a shoot around type thing with several questions. Only one of which was a prediction question, really mm. explicitly, which was nice because I was like, "Don't make me do playoff you, predictions," yeah, and they hate were like, that. "You just got to do one," and I said, "Okay." And I, I actually, I, uh, I went out on a, a limb a little bit, and with the least conviction I could muster, picked the Twins. To win the World Series, and I think I, I wrote it in such a way that I conveyed that I certainly don't uh, put any any great faith behind that pick, and I object to the general idea of picking. I said, "heck, if I know," but let's say Twins over Phillies. So that's about how much thought I gave it, but. I've been impressed by the twins for all the reasons that you were saying. I think they are better than the full season stats suggest like the the underlying metrics are better than their actual record and also they I think improved as the season went on and yeah they're they're getting all sorts of monkeys off their back they they beat the Yankees in their season series for the first yeah. time since two thousand one this year. they snapped the streak they I think are are Pretty impressive pitching-wise, especially the fact that they led the majors in strikeout rate, which would have been inconceivable at one time that yeah. the twins would right. ever do that. I mean, they were the most pitch-to-contact team there was stubbornly, year after year after year. And even when they sort of set their minds to changing that, it still took a little while to undo all the the contact pitching that they were doing. And now They're just at the top of the league. They have the most strikeouts in the majors. Never would have thought that I would see such a thing, or at least the highest strikeout rate. So they are going against an Astros team that, as usual, is a high-contact team. Seems like that's always the deal with the Astros throughout this whole run of theirs. They've generally been a pretty good contact team that also hits for good power, which is if you can do both of those things, you're usually in pretty good shape. So I don't know how that plays exactly. Like I know that the Twins have a lot of elo. The yep. Astros have done well against Velo. So in that sense, it, it would seem to maybe be a favorable matchup for the Astros offense. But who knows how far to take those things. I think it's a, a talented Minnesota staff. So yeah. I, I have some faith. And uh, it would be, I think, funny if a team from the AL Central won the World Series. <laughs> so just yeah. just for the, the comedic value of that. And in fairness to the Twins... They were six games over 500 against non-Central opponents. They were actually six games over 500 against Central and non-Central opponents. So it's not like they just beat up on on the weak Central teams and and got beat up on by everyone else. They're a pretty good team. And they yeah. hit a lot of homers, a high percentage of their runs on homers. Not like Atlanta high, but, but I think second among the playoff teams. So yeah I, I like the twins. I think I think they will do well. Will they actually be better than the Astros? I don't know, but I, don't I was know. uh yeah, it was like a felt cute might delete sort of <laughs> prediction from me, except I can't really delete it because it's been published already. but <laughs> there it is. I went away from from being Mr. chalk for once in my life.
2: yeah, there you go.
0: and I guess we could talk about Rangers' Orioles, yeah, which. I am excited for it because these are the two teams that have been away from the playoffs yeah. the longest and the same amount of time. They've both been absent from the postseason since 2016. And so their roads led here but diverged in other very significant ways. Like The way that they got here is completely different and the way that these teams are constructed is different. Very different. I don't know if they're they're diametrically opposed, but they're extremely different, where the Rangers are very much built on trades and free agency, and the Orioles are not so much. Yeah. And they are more homegrown than the Rangers are. All of the homegrown guys that the Rangers have are good, especially Josh Young and Evan Carter. But you think of the Orioles, you think of their their prospects and the guys that they have managed to turn into better players than anyone thought they would be. That describes almost everyone on the Orioles. So (laughs) it's just it's it's you know high payroll versus low payroll. Like they both, you know, the Orioles did an extreme tank and. It worked about as well as an extreme tank can. The Rangers did a, we're gonna go for it, and we're gonna just go pay for good players, and that has worked. It just yeah. it worked by the skin of their teeth, sort of, but but it worked. It got them here, and I think they're just as good a team as the Orioles are because the Orioles are they're one of the most attention-getting teams and, and they're one of the most exciting teams.
2: And boy, are their fans mad at fan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, because the, the projections did not did not recognize their greatness quickly enough or ever. But when you look at their base runs record or their right. Pythag, like they were like 12 wins above yes, their base runs record, really which were. is a lot more than any other team. And yep. granted, I think they got, Better as the season went on sure. too, because they promoted people. But yeah, there's there's a little a little luck going on there, right? It's it's not like an overpowering team. I mean, the Rangers had a better run differential than the Orioles did. So the Orioles are super exciting. And I assume that this is the first of many years that the Orioles will be a contending team, and they have the potential to be just a dominant. Super team. I mean, if they just rearrange some some pieces and some players on the roster, like some of the, the veteran kind of stopgap placeholder guys who've been in that infield, if those guys leave and maybe they trade from the prospect depth a little to get some pitching and then call up their next wave of incredible prospects, like their prospects just at triple A. AAA just ridiculous, right? So there's just not enough room for those guys right now. So if they find a way to fit all of those highly touted prospects in there and trade the ones that they can't for, for some other valuable players yeah. and and then actually convince John Angelos and Michaelias for that matter to to spend some money. Right, yeah. Then yeah, their the Orioles are not going to go away for a long time. You know? Right. So I just think that this year you have to maybe pump the brakes a, a bit when it comes to like uh, you know they've arrived i mean they have right. but but there're still some vulnerabilities on this team
2: yeah i think that you know that can be said of both teams in mm-hmm. like in some ways you're right that the the core of their respective rebuilds have been quite Different. I mean, they've been literally different in the mm-hmm. case of the players involved, but like the Orioles have built from within in getting to where they are now. Texas has supplemented existing players they had with big free agent signings and then big trade acquisitions. But I think that they're kind of going forward approach to team building provided that the Orioles spend some money which is a big question mark for the reasons that you highlighted might be pretty similar in that both of these clubs have good farm systems and so they are going to have the ability to consolidate farm system guys consolidate prospects in trade that you know are good pro- who are good prospects but maybe don't have a place on the big league roster and then you know I think will spend in some cases, strategically, maybe on the Orioles' part, they might continue to make splashy moves on the Rangers' part. We'll just kind of have to see. But in terms of how they are going to utilize their farm systems to supplement the big league team going forward, I think it will be, you know, a mix of like promoting their best guys and then, you know, having guys who just don't have a place on the big league roster and who are then used to bring in other big league contributors. So there's that. I hope. I don't know what will make Orioles fans less more likely to stop yelling at us. What outcome will result in that?
0: Say some nice things about Kyle Bradish. Just take a minute he's now good. and just he's, just yeah, praise like, Kyle Bradish for look, a while.
2: Look, I don't think that he is I don't think he's a bad pitcher. He's a, he's a good pitcher. He's he's you know, he's got a sub 3 ERA. He's got a he's got a three, two, seven FIP. He had a four basically a four win season. It, it's you guys, it's fine. We we, don't, we do not think that this is a bad baseball team. We think that they are not quite as good as their record suggests. But I think if you asked people who work for the Orioles, they'd probably tell you that also. And it's okay. Like they're 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 good. I think they're going to be competitive in this this series. They, you know, they won their division. Do I think that they're a hundred and one win team? the the underlying metrics suggest no they are not but they are a good baseball team they're a, a worthy playoff roster for sure and they have a lot of really exciting young players and i hope that as time goes on we continue to see those guys make strides and i hope that you know their front office and ownership group are able to supplement that really exciting young core with outside talent where where it's necessary and that they don't let money be sort of a barrier to them doing that i don't like i think it's okay to say hey this is a team that has a really good offense and also has been really really good when they've had like runners in scoring position and they've been really good when they've had runners in scoring position with two outs like we've talked about the pitching a lot and uh, an orioles fan might point out that you invited me to say nice things about kyle bradish and then i immediately diverted to a different subject (laughs) and you know what that's a fair note that's a you know what good note but you know I think that a lot of the analysis has been about how the pitching is relative to some other rotations in the postseason, not quite as good and that with the loss of you know Felix Bautista that the the bullpen is not as imposing as it was even though it is still quite good and has exciting guys in it but I think that the the degree to which even this good offense has managed to play over their skis at the most important moments, you know, like that's a big piece of this too. And that is great. Those runs count. I think that attributing all of that to luck is like a disingenuous way to think about it. And we know that when you sort of outperform As much as the Orioles have in those situations, that's not necessarily sticky season to season. So, like, this is all we're saying, and Mm -hmm. no one's saying that you should think they're bad, or that 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 you can't enjoy them, or that they aren't a a worthy playoff team. We're not saying any such things. So, so,
0: you know, no, I mean. Probably Orioles fans will look back at this team in a few years, and regardless of of how its playoff run goes, they'll probably think like, "Oh, those were the baby birds," you know, right. like they they were still just trying to find their way out of the nest. Yeah. They were s- still improving. Like, yeah, this team is is going to be unstoppable soon. Probably, yes. I mean, there's every Even reason to think that that will be are the case. Ahead. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they, they could certainly win right now as well. Absolutely. But, but yeah, like... The offense is, is good. It's definitely, it's not a great offense, well, at, at least like based on the underlying numbers. like They don't have a ton of great on-base guys. They don't hit that many home runs. They, they don't do the things that generally you have to do to score a lot of runs. They don't do them extremely well. So it's hard to see how they scored so many runs, except for the, the clutchness, of course. Right. But yeah, I, I think that the... Pitching concerns are maybe ameliorated by the fact that I have concerns about the Rangers pitching, too. Maybe more acute concerns, if anything, because I was reassured about their rotation because of how well Nathan Avaldi pitched last time. Because I was thinking, man, he could be done for this year, basically. And then he, he looked very much not done. But will that continue? I don't know. So you have Montgomery. You have... Ivaldi, who has had a whole string of awful starts and one vintage start. So you hope that that was more reflective of who he is. And then you have Dane Dunning, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like if Scherzer can't pitch now, then you're going to have to put in probably Heaney, right, Mm -hmm. who's been in the bullpen mostly lately because Gray's out as well. And So they're sort of shorthanded, and and even if Scherzer could come back, and I wouldn't want to be the one to tell him that he couldn't, but even if he did, who knows what you'd get out of 39-year-old Max Scherzer who hasn't pitched for a month and may not be 100%, and he's not at this stage of his career someone who tends to go very deep into games. It would help. Every little bit would help because you sure. want to try to hide that bullpen as much yeah. as possible. So, so even if you are putting Scherzer in the pen for an inning or two here or there, every little bit would probably help to stay away from the underbelly of that bullpen. And even the Orioles' Batistaless bullpen inspires more confidence oh, than yeah. the Rangers' bullpen. Yes, so
2: one hundred percent.
0: Stack up these stats, and I don't, I don't see that as a a big mismatch. I, I think probably. The Rangers' offense is better, but the pitching, it, it could be competitive. So, yeah. I, I think it is a fairly well-matched series, more so than the win differential would suggest. I agree. Okay. Well, I guess we talked about all the series.
2: And Peanuts. So, and you know, we're, we're covering all of the, the newsiest items of the day, Ben. You know, mm-hmm. we, have them, we have them all covered I think
0: yeah I feel like we didn't say that much about Phillies Braves but like we've all we've all seen Phillies Braves
2: I'm so excited for Phillies Braves (laughs) I just really am so excited for Phillies Braves you know
0: yeah we we watched them last year we all we all know what these two teams can do so I I don't know that I have any uh, special insight they've played each other a bunch of times in the regular season and in the playoffs it's just not a lot of mystery here but but I guess Phillies pitching staff versus Braves lineup is, I mean, that's, that's good. That's, you know, matching up the best with also maybe the best. So, may may the best team win or yeah. the other team i don't really care that much but, yeah, but i'll like, enjoy it either way
2: <laughs> i will say having a, an actual horse in the race is very stressful yeah. and it is much more enjoyable to be a neutral completely neutral observer because i think that all of these series have a lot to recommend them and i'm i'm excited for all of them i know i sound quiet and maybe it's because of two days of rest. What a strange thing! Two two days in a row of rest during the postseason, Ben. Well, who yeah. heard of such a thing? But we're recording this on Friday, and I wish it was Saturday. I'm ready to watch mm-hmm. some baseball.
1: Yeah,
0: well, it will be soon. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, I'll I'll give you one weird little thing that I stumbled across. Okay. And then we'll see. I got to do a, a stat blast. Oh but yeah. Here's here's something I, I happened to read the other day. So Paul Richards is a, a favorite baseball figure of mine. He's kind of okay. like in the genre of Bill Veck and Eddie Stanky, you know, like guys who were just like looking for an edge, but also kind of having fun with it, at least mm-hmm. sometimes in a, a Vec sort of way. So Paul Richards... He lived from the the early 20th century to the mid-80s, and his middle name was Rapier, which is kind of cool, Paul Rapier Richards. Mm. And he did everything in baseball, basically. He was a a player. He was a major leaguer. He was a manager. He was a scout. He was an executive. He worked for a, a bunch of teams. He was a catcher. He was a general manager of the Orioles and the Colt 45s before the, they were the Astros and then also when they were the Astros and then also the Braves. And he's also known because he's from Waxahachie, Texas. Right. And so he is known as the the Wizard of Waxahachie. And he gave his his nickname to the Waxahachie Swap as uh, Rob Nyer named it or as one of Rob Nyer's readers named it. And that is, of course, the old tactic that sadly doesn't work anymore, where yeah. you would bring a pitcher out to play defense for a batter or two and then bring him back in there, which was always fun. He didn't invent it, but he, he did it enough that he is associated with it. And lots of other colorful stories associated with him, like there was a, a game in the minors in 1926 when he was 17 years old, and he was pitching. He was like... I guess he was playing shortstop, and they they called him to the pitcher's mound, and he pitched for a while, right-handed and left-handed, mm. and and he faced a switch hitter, and so the the Pat Vendetti thing happened, like decades and decades before Pat Vendetti, and before they cool. had had the rule. So you yeah. know, like when it was just like, okay, I'll move this way, and you move that way, and yeah, we'll do yeah. our little dance. So so they did they did one of those, and then he ended the stalemate by alternating hands with each pitch <laughs> so wow. no matter where the the batter stood, yeah. he would just throw with with the other hand right so it, there are a lot of stories like that and and he went on to be the the first gm slash manager in decades since john mcgraw so you know fine baseball mind and helped uh, build up the Orioles signed Brooks Robinson, like just, you know, kind of a baseball Zelig figure. But but this was something I just stumbled across the other day, and I, I had no idea about this story, but I, I thought it was highly amusing. So here's a story from December 3rd, 1964. And the headline says, Richards offered to swap clubs with Braves. And then the subhead is switch plus 5 million turned down. So this is a UPI story. It says Texans ain't pikers, sir. And Paul Richards proved it Thursday with the disclosure of the most fantastic trade offer in baseball history. Richards offered all 40 Houston players plus $5 million for all of Milwaukee's players. So he offered to, to trade all of – he was the GM for Houston, and he said, I'll give you all my players for all of your players, the Milwaukee Braves, and also $5 million. And he said, it was a legitimate and sincere offer, said the Texas-born Richards, who serves as Houston's general manager. I made the offer in good faith to John McHale and Bill Bartolome. McHale is president of the Braves, Bartolome, chairman of the board. This was uh, made at a a meeting, and he said they were staggered by the offer. I'm not surprised, but they rejected it. Both knew we were dead serious. If they wanted to do it, we were ready right there and then. And if any witnesses were needed, the judge, uh, the president of, of the Astros or Colt 45s at that point was right there to witness it, and then... When this reporter's around, Bartolome walks by and he says, are you talking about the offer? And Richard says, yes, I am. It's the truth. I'm talking about the offer we made you not long ago. You turned it down. Isn't that right? And Bartolome said, it was like offering someone the Brooklyn Bridge. And then Richard said, nevertheless, it was a genuine offer. And we would have closed (laughs) the deal right there if you had said the word. (laughs)
2: Nevertheless.
0: (laughs) Bartolome did not reply. McHale likewise said he would rather not discuss the offer when asked about it. And then the story goes on to say that had the wholesale trade been made roster for roster, it would have been within the baseball law. Richard says there's nothing in the rules preventing us from trading whom we chose. And uh, actually, he was involved at another time in, I think, the biggest baseball trade ever, like a 17-player trade. Literally so, the biggest. Yeah. So So this was... This was something he he actually did legitimately, although I can't tell whether it's tongue-in-cheek that he keeps like wow. saying, nevertheless, th- this was real. But <laughs> a story the next day, also UPI, continuing the coverage of this story. Paul Richards' fantastic roster-for-roster trade offer stunned the baseball world Thursday and earned him the title of the game's most impulsive trader from... <gasps> Of all people, Frank Lane. So this was Frank Lane, known as Trader Lane, the oh, GM who just impulsively, compulsively traded everyone all the time. It was like you know made Jerry Depoto and AJ Preller look patient, <laughs> look wow. like they they were not constantly jonesing to make a move. And so Trader Lane said, "Wow, if you traded entire teams, then you are the new trader. You're the most impulsive trader." So. Lane caused something of a minor sensation himself. He was uh, visiting the convention headquarters. I guess this was December. I guess this was maybe winter meetings or something akin to that. And Lane said he had no doubt whatsoever that Richards would have gone through with the proposed deal. Paul has had a night. Now, this was maybe my favorite part. No sudden impulse. It says Paul has had an idea like this in mind for a long time said Lane, who employed Richards as his manager with the White Sox in 1953. He tried to make a similar deal with Detroit that season. <laughs> Freddie Hutchinson was managing the club, and after the Tigers lost a tough one to us, Richards told him that we'd trade their 25 men for our 25. Detroit wouldn't go for it, though. <laughs> and then it wow. says, later on, when Richards became general manager at Baltimore, he offered to swap the entire club for all of Kansas oh, City's my gosh. players. The late Arnold Johnson, owner of the A's at the time, rejected that one, too. I bet. Don't ever sell Paul Short, Lane said. He knows what he's doing all the time. If the Braves had said yes to his latest offer, he surely would have gone through with it. Oh, my God. Houston would have gotten up the money in a hurry, too. $5 million doesn't mean anything to a man like Bob Smith, who is the board chairman. There isn't the slightest doubt in my mind the deal would have been made had Milwaukee agreed.
2: Oh and my gosh.
0: then the Milwaukee chairman said that it was the wildest offer he ever heard. But Richards insisted once again that it was a bona fide one. And how could it not be if, yeah. if he's he's been serially offering the same right. deal to everyone? It's yeah. like if your team beats his team, he's like, trade you, trade you yeah. my entire team for your entire team.
2: I feel like... You could say a lot of things about him but you couldn't doubt the sincerity, you know? You no. have to you'd have to hand it to him. You'd have to <laughs> hand it to him, Ben.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I Oh mean... my goodness. And and he's he's not like this isn't just purely some sort of vec like stunt like right he 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 was a, a fine baseball mind like kind of yeah. a colorful character but but also you know like he he invented the oversized catcher's mitt to catch right, right. knuckleballers he That's he did right. he did that uh, he he also I think he invented the instructional league instructs I think that is a a Paul Richards legacy so. He he did a lot of things, but he never yeah. got to do what seems to be the the one thing the one that he thing wanted to he do really more than anything to. else. Yeah, was just to trade An everyone for team. everyone else. An yeah.
2: entire team. Yeah. Wow.
0: And imagine how it would have changed baseball history. I mean, you oh think of all God. the all the legendary Milwaukee Braves from that time period. They yeah. would have been in Houston instead because they they made this roster swap for for roster swap. I yeah. mean. I can't tell why he wanted to do it Right Exactly Like if he was with Houston And, and he wanted the Braves roster Then I guess I understand Because they were a better team So <laughs> Was he just like Well they have a better team Maybe I can get them to trade me Their entire team And then I'll have Maybe. a good team Was Maybe. there like Some sort of 4D chess Like subtle aspect to this I really don't know
2: Maybe he got all of their families involved in MLMs and he's like, I gotta get these folks out of here. They're going to be wise to me soon. Yeah. I'm reading. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's as good a theory (laughs) as any, Meg. Sure. We'll go with that. (laughs) I'm reading.
0: There's an SI piece here. I think this was from after he died where this one says that in the middle of the 1961 season, he and Arnold Johnson, the A's owner, spent a couple of hours discussing the possibility of trading the '61 Orioles for the '61 A's. Honest. Wow. Like, why though? Why it's, though? How, what would, is that, how would that? How would that? Wrong with him? It, it sounds like an effectively wild hypothetical. It sounds
2: like a bit. It sounds like yeah. Can you imagine? You know, it's like the first time you do it, the owner is like, "We're not like," and then you hear about him doing it again, and you're like, "Does this guy?" Yeah. What's wrong I, with him? Yeah.
0: You know what it's like? It's like Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekic swapping wives. It's like, that's not typically how trades work. It's just not usually on the table. You keep your team and I'll keep mine and we'll each try to make ours better. There's a Baltimore Sun story from years later. In 1956, he proposed swapping entire 25-man rosters with the Kansas City Athletics, backing off only after the A's asked to take Roger Maris and Cleet Boyer out of the deal. Well, yeah, obviously. It's all or nothing. The entire team, or he walks. And I found another story this was not from upi but from the ap so all the wire services were covering this thing in december of 64 where it's like it's like a rashomon style accounting of of whether this was serious or not Yeah. because it's like there's a, a competing interpretations and in columns here so w- one headline says braves term roster trade talk joke and then right below that Richards, colon, no hoax. (laughs) It just says, so Bartolome, the Brewers guy said, or Braves guy, we had just been involved in court actions on the move to Atlanta. We came into the lobby looking bedraggled and apparently Richards felt sorry for us and our condition. We laughed and so did Richards. And so we took it in the tone in which the offer was made, lobby chatter and took no further action. And then it, it got around And then Bartolome said, it is unbelievable that anyone would take a story like that seriously. And then immediately below that, it says, Paul Richards set everyone straight today who thought he might be pulling a hoax. That offer I made the Braves a few weeks ago still goes today. (laughs) I noticed the Milwaukee people did not deny it. I'm sure they know it was no hoax. I really don't. I really don't understand. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I don't know if this is all a prank or a bit, right. or or, yeah. or whether he was serious and this was just a, a heartfelt desire that he had.
2: I can't but tell you, Ben. I couldn't. I couldn't rightly no. tell you. I think no. we should use bedraggled as a word more yeah, often.
0: Bedraggled's good. Yeah.
2: Bedraggled is good. It's very evocative. You know. And at
0: the same time, there's a story about that he was in conversation with the uh, Dodgers general manager Buddy Bavesi, and this trade would have netted him Frank Howard for someone who who barely went on to to play at all so that would have been quite a steal for Paul Richards if he had pulled that off so he was making astute offers at yeah. the time but then he was also sort of like sh- posting or yeah. like Shit trade proposing, <laughs> I, I, this I really is like
2: the kind of stuff that gets you kicked out of a fantasy league.
0: Yeah, exactly. hes just, i don't, is he messing with people I so that know. they would take him less seriously and they would underestimate him? Maybe
2: I don't know, Ben.
0: But the fact that he kept returning to this over and over again makes me God, think that it was a really sincere yeah. offer. What would that do to a fan base?
2: What would it? You, you would. There would be riots. Don't you think there would be riots? I think well, people would riot.
0: What if you were, even if you got the better team? Right. How would that feel if it was just like?
2: (laughs) Here's another question for you, related, but different. So like, you do this, right? What is the, like, obviously the context is different then than it would be now, but like, does the league let you? And does so there's that part. And also like in a modern context, does the does the players association say like no hold on like yeah. what a profoundly what a profoundly disruptive yeah thing i mean i guess any player is like tradable at any moment you know terms and conditions mm-hmm. apply but like in general you guys are tradable yeah. but like a, to have an entire like team have to pick up and move you know and mm-hmm. then like okay but this would be a fun movie ben because then The players could live in each other's houses and that then there could be hijinks, you know, (laughs) now I'm back on board. I think that moving is terrible, but hijinks are great. So
0: (laughs) this would, I think, really test the contention about rooting for laundry, because even if even if you upgraded, even if you got like how much better would the team that that you were swapping for have to be right for a fan to be like. This is good, actually. I'm happy. I'm happy that this happened. Everyone I was rooting for as of yesterday is is now gone all at once. All of them. This is a team of of strangers to me.
1: Yeah.
0: Yet they are better at baseball and they will win more games. And they're still wearing the same jersey. (laughs) Like if you're going from the worst team in the league to the best team in the league, you'd you'd probably do that, right? Because you're sick of watching your terrible team anyway. But you
2: don't. You don't have to worry about them gelling with each other because they're yeah. all. And, and in fact, I imagine it would be like a. It would bring a group of people who have already been playing together even closer together because they would all be like, "Where do we get coffee? Yeah. <laughs> where do our children go to school? Where do they live? I don't know where my children are. You know, mm-hmm. like there would be a lot of. I mean. <laughs> You know, like it would be, it would be really, would you change coaching staffs? Would you swap those mm. two? Now I'm just making it an effectively that seems wild like a, hypothetical. Yeah,
0: It seems like a package deal. I would, I would right. think the coaching staff comes with
2: probably. It would be wild. It would, Ben, I don't want this to happen because again, it would be profoundly disruptive to real people, but it would be a fascinating it would be a fascinating case study because if – what if they didn't swap coaching staffs? It was just the players. And then, like, you could really learn something about the value that those, those coaches bring. I mean, you couldn't learn, like, a lot, but you could learn mm-hmm. something. Like, it mm-hmm. would be really interesting if you were, like – especially the good team to the not good team's coaching staff because, yeah. you know, maybe – Maybe the bad team was only as good as they were because of the coaching staff. And maybe that coaching staff is actually – wouldn't it be fascinating if the good team suddenly got a lot worse and the bad team got a lot better? And then you're like, those coaches are losers. Got to get them out of here.
0: A natural experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, I'm just I'm fascinated. I I wish I could ask Paul Richards what was in yeah. his head here. We could have had Henry Aaron could have broken Babe Ruth's record as an Astro if this had happened. Uh, you wow. would have had Phil Negro, Eddie Matthews would have been Astros. Uh, gosh, so so much about baseball history would have would changed. Be different, Yeah, <laughs> not that this profoundly. was was close to being consummated. No, I don't think. But but still,
2: <laughs> I do I do think that like the commissioner would be like, now, hold on a minute.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably.
2: (laughs) What do you, what do you, wait, what are you yeah. doing? I just no. think
0: as a fan you would need like I don't know what exchange rate you would need to put up with the fact that you now have no personal attachment no whatsoever attachment. Yeah. to these people but it's still your team in name right. only at least and plays at the same ballpark has the same laundry and but they're better at baseball so right. you know how many how many wins do you have to gain to overcome the fact that you just have no history with None. all these people and just the sense of displacement of yeah. An entire team being replaced by another entire team all of a sudden, just on a whim, apparently. On a whim.
2: Yeah. yeah. Weird, man. Weird. Very,
0: very weird, but wonderful and wacky. So, yeah. I salute you, Paul Richards. So, Bill Veck. Later, hired him to manage the White Sox, which seems like it's just a yeah. match made in heaven. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, that,
2: that tracks. That feels yeah. like it tracks.
0: He was replaced as GM at one point by a former Effectively Wild legend, the late Eddie Robinson, as well. Too bad they couldn't pull off a, a team swap. Anyway, maybe someone will will pick this uh, idea up again sometime and revive. I mean, this this should be the the Waxahachie swap. We should right. rebrand that as trading an entire team yes. for another entire team. That's you're, what it means now.
2: You're to something, Ben. I think you really are.
0: We no longer have the other kind. I sadly, know, it's,
2: yeah. There's a vacancy. Not that we there's, ever had
0: this kind either. No, but.
2: <laughs> but there's there's like a terminology vacancy that is mm-hmm. you know a position to be filled.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Hey, here's a, a pressing email question we okay. just got, which we may have answered at some point, but what the heck. Nathan says, pedantry about sweeps in the playoffs. Mm. I'm very happy for the Twins and Twins fans following their wild card victory. But when I heard the broadcast celebrate that they had finally won a series victory, I thought, should we really count best two of three? As a series victory, especially comparing against a history where that possibility didn't exist. But Uh, put that question aside because I don't want to be a wet blanket. And it led to what I think of as a bigger issue. Nobody actually sweeps playoff series. If during the regular season a team wins three of the first four, they still have to play the fourth game. And we don't (gasps) say that they swept the series after three.
1: She right.
0: Says, I can't get too worked up about this because I've been a baseball fan for 25 years and never noticed that the definition of a sweep yeah. changes in the postseason. But if we had to come up with a new name for the postseason sweep, what would it be? So wow. there is something to that. I was thinking yeah. about this the other day just because best two out of three. there's a
2: reason you host this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, yeah. Yeah, because best two out of three, it's true. There's no way that yeah. you can sweep in the yeah. sense that you sweep during the regular season you got to win all the possible games that you're playing against that opponent and yep. in a wild card round either you win the first two and you just never play the third or it goes to a third game but you had to lose one so you didn't sweep then either so can we <sighs> rebrand the sweep as being undefeated that's essentially what it means yeah. right that you advance without losing yeah but but is that, it's not the same thing? It's we,
2: not the same thing. Yeah. I, you know, Nathan, when you're right, you're right. I think yeah. uh, sometimes we get these and I think, yeah, you're like technically right, but mm-hmm. re, jiggering our expectations or understanding or terminology or what have you would be like annoying. But mm-hmm. this one's going to stick with me, Ben, because I think uh, uh, it's not a sweep because you don't no. play, you don't play right. the final game. You just, yeah. you just are done. You know, Mm -hmm. you get to go home and, like, maybe you're happy or maybe you're sad, but you're at home. So, I also like it because sometimes when we answer pedantic questions, like, the answer, like, takes away a thing, you know. But Mm -hmm. this gives us an opportunity to come up with a new term. Yeah. I think we should come up with some new vernacular here. But, yeah, it's not a sweep. It's not a sweep.
0: Yeah. How sweep it is, not not Mm, very. Not very. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. swoop <laughs> swoop it's a swoop
2: it's a swoop that's not the same thing what does that even mean Ben it's a swoop know. that's not a thing that's nothing you know, I it changed just a
0: like couple a, letters I don't you know just,
2: you just wanted to have like the same you wanted it to fit this like in a song you could just yeah. replace sweep with swoop like you know but it, it it's not that that's nothing you know a swoop that's what is a swoop I mean I know what a swoop is but like no, that's that. No. we we're gonna do better. Okay. I'm being unkind to you. I apologize. We'll I, no, just, it, was, that was a little, it was not good.
0: That was a little harsh. Solicit, it was harsher than we'll I meant. Solicit suggestions. Yeah, because
2: like, <laughs> I think we could really be cooking with gas here if we put our minds to it, but mm-hmm. yeah, wow, not a sweep. Oh mm-hmm. boy. Now, now if someone uses it in copy, I'm going to be pedantic and they're going to be like, why? And I'm going to be like, I got a really, we got a smart email, man. And now my yeah. life is different.
0: Because we need a word to replace sweep or else you'd have to write around it and it would be very convoluted,
2: Very cumbersome.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you could just say they, they won the best of Three series or the best of five or seven series uh, they by undefeated <laughs> by they, taking the first. <laughs> X yeah, it's games. so bad. Yeah,
2: no, it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we want it to be punchy, and I think mm-hmm. I have faith in us, and okay. I definitely have faith in our listeners to come up with something good.
0: Question from Ari, Patreon supporter: How much damage could a traitorous base coach do? Mm. At what point would players simply stop listening and have to rely on their own feel for the game? How much of an effect would that have, basically not having a base coach? How would players try to counter this? would they try to give their own signs from the dugout or just do the opposite of what the base coach tells you to? I assume the traitorous base coach would be better off trying to hide their traitorousness by usually giving the correct call, right. perhaps saving bad sends and stops for high leverage situations. How long only, do you think they but could only go? sometimes. I only think. sometimes. Yeah. How yeah. long do you think they could go without being discovered while still having a negative impact on their team? What's the optimal strategy?
2: Yeah. So I, when we got this uh, email, I started thinking about what are your options here? Because you, you'd have to be very strategic. You'd have to deploy it very strategically, particularly if, as the question assumes, you're not in a confederacy with the other coaches. Because, like, if you're all in it together, which would be very strange, you could probably linger longer But I think you'd have to – not only would you have to mostly give the correct advice from a process perspective, you'd probably have to mostly give the right advice in high leverage situations. Like, you'd really have to pick your spots because I think that even if you weren't, quote-unquote, discovered, I would hazard the guess. You tell me if you disagree. I would imagine that, like – if you asked an owner or a general manager or a manager, you'd probably be willing to make changes at your base coach positions uh, much more quickly and mm-hmm. indeed probably mid year far more often than you'd be willing to do that with the manager or the bench coach or mm-hmm. the pitching coach or the hitting coach. Like, I. I don't imagine that they are on particularly wobbly chairs. I bet that if you're decent at being a base coach, you can like kind of coast for a long time. I bet that's a pretty secure position on a coaching staff, but I bet it's also one that is viewed as maybe of all the coaches, the the least disruptive if you have to make a change, do you mm-hmm. think that that's fair? I mean, I don't think people are like angling to get rid of their coaches. I hope I think that they want there to be stability on their coaching staffs, but it's less disruptive than like getting rid of the manager would be right, or nope. getting a new hitting coach because then you have to answer questions about that, you know, yeah, and so I think you'd have to. You'd have to be really careful, not because people would assume that you were some sort of turncoat, but because people might just assume that you're bad at your job and then they'd want to move on. I think that it would – you'd have to be very – you'd have to be very patient. You'd have to be really clever, you know?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, I could see – see, I've always suspected that conductors don't do anything in an orchestra. (gasps) Oh, that. I know that they do – there's just a part of me that thinks that they don't. And my <laughs> my wife is a, a musical person and she has disabused me of this notion and she has yeah. told me the important contribution that conductors make, but I just don't buy it. So
2: <laughs> I, it's funny because I was just about to ask you, I was like, what does Jessie think of this? Because <laughs> she'd know much more about it than I would.
0: Yeah, she, she humors me. She has informed me that conductors do a lot behind the scenes, obviously. So they're like know.
2: managers. Yeah,
0: they're like, they're leading the practices and they're doing the assignments and everything, right? They're They're deciding on the program. I just Wait, mean specifically.
2: Can I, sorry, w- can I interrupt you one more time? They're <laughs> determining... The assignments, like mm-hmm. between, like you know, the first chair and the second chair,
0: right? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I was know, like,
2: doesn't the composer just said or, the assignment? Well,
0: yeah, not like use this instrument for this one, <laughs> not <laughs> not not that, I guess. But you know, and doing auditions and all okay. the administrative stuff and being Got kind of it. the public face of the orchestra.
2: So then you are the manager.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But wow, with a little bit of GMing involved too, maybe. Sure. And, but okay. But I mean specifically the waving the wand part, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I know it's not a wand, but that's what I call it to, to belittle the conductors. But, but that's why, just because when you watch an orchestra, they're not, they're not looking. Like, you know, I, I know that like, <laughs> they're not. They're looking at their music or they're looking at their fun. instruments yeah, look at the island. These, these are <laughs> professionals. They don't need this this guy up here waving his little uh, wand. To they know how to keep time. They know they've practiced this piece before. You take that conductor away, I it wouldn't be suddenly a cacophony. When do I come in? I can't read the time signature. How wow. many measures? Come on, give me a break, wow. conductors.
2: I look, Ben. First of all, do they call it a stick? What is it actually called? I know. So, I played clarinet badly for like a couple of years. And so, this is not me being dismissive. It's me being ignorant. I'm I'm genuine. I
0: believe it's a baton.
2: A baton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then calling it a wand is belittling. I was going to say, like, calling it a wand makes it sound powerful. Like, you're like a Mm -hmm. sorcerer or something. And you're like, you know, you're of all the... Kinds of truther you could have proven to be (laughs) Yeah,
0: I'm a conductor truther You're a conductor
2: truther, wow And the
0: reason I brought that up is that I wonder (laughs) How many bass coaches are akin to conductors Yeah Where if you actually just (laughs) took them off the field, it wouldn't really matter that much because these players are professionals and they know what they're doing out there. I I know that they're obviously like maybe they're giving you a little scouting report. Oh, watch this guy's move or here's how fast, you know, I've been timing with my stopwatch and here's how you got to get back. And of course, they're shouting back. Right. But. Also, a lot of the time when you see someone rounding third, they just, they're blowing through that stop sign. They're just running right through it. They, well. it, not, a, you're not supposed to, you know, right. but, but it happens at times. And sometimes the player is right. And right. that's the thing about this hypothetical is that there are, bad sends all the time. Sure, there so are bad sends. You could absolutely camouflage your traitorousness because no one would know the difference between just a, an accidental bad send and an intentional bad send.
2: Oh, wow, Ben, I am reeling. Um, I. <laughs> <laughs> but so, like, you're right that there are bad sends and you're right that sometimes... Players blow through the stop sign, but like you know, if you got ahead of steam and you make the turn at second, depending on where the ball has been hit, like they do serve a purpose insofar as they are able to have a line of sight to the outfield that the the base yes. runner doesn't. Yes, right. So mm-hmm. like they. Unlike the musicians who apparently don't look at conductors,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, they're more useful than conductors for oh sure. Oh
2: my god, <laughs> we are gonna. You know what? I asked for like, what should we call it instead of a sweep? And you're, and we're gonna get emails about that, and then we're gonna get a whole other set of emails. And I want <laughs> you to know that that's your fault.
0: <laughs> we can't have that many conductor listeners. I we mean, I at know there's we two. always have. I,
2: we, we always have so too.
0: someone of every profession listens to effectively well. We've established many times, so so I know I'm offending the conductors out there who are hopefully not Patreon supporters. But
2: I bet that I bet that we are going to get some folks who are musicians mm-hmm. in orchestras who yeah. will write in. You know, now here's going to couldn't play a
0: note without my conductor. Right, I'd but be there lost. are probably.
2: There are probably going to be some who are like, "Yeah, Ben, you give it to those conductors." Yeah, we
0: can't say it, but you can. You, you can, can say it. You can say yeah. it. You yeah, can speak yeah. for all of us. Oh my god! Silent can... orchestra majority.
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is rough because like noise is their whole thing, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless the conductor's not there, and then, then they won't lost. be able to make any yeah, noise because they no. just they'll have no idea what to do. They're I guess. Like, what
2: are my hands even for? What is this thing I'm holding? A uh, you know blow blow? Yeah. Like is it a blow blow? Is it a how they, string string?
0: How do they ever practice at home with no conductor there? They must just well, sit not... there. Like when do I start? How do? <laughs> <laughs> but
2: they're. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. So I want to make that very clear before I raise this objection. But like, isn't they would be able to play their own part, but the idea of the conductor is like helping to bring them all together in concert, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I can't wait for these emails. I'm so excited. I'm I'm rubbing my hands together as we record. This is gonna be great. I was I was kind of low energy in the beginning of this episode and now I feel like I'm in my right register because if you're you are a conductor truther. Man, what was watching tar like for you?
0: <laughs> I really liked it, but but it was okay because I could I could devalue Lydia's contribution right. and that'd be yeah. fine. She had other I, problems. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: Oh, boy. Wow. Hmm. Wow. What are we even talking about, Ben?
0: I don't know. A, a base coach. <laughs> oh, I yeah. guess so- I brought that up <laughs> to say that I don't think <laughs> it would be that disruptive. It would definitely make you worse at base running if you yes. didn't have the base coach. And yes. And obviously it would make you worse at base running if you had someone, <laughs> a base coach who was trying to sabotage you. Right. But I think you could absolutely get away with it because there's a baseline level of incompetence that we tolerate with our base coaches, and I think a lot of fan bases think that their third base coach is bad, right? right. And I don't, I don't know whether that's true, but they remember the bad sends. Of course, you're not going to remember all the routine ones. You're going to remember the one where you, how could you send him, right? And. Right. and and Russell Carlton has written, he's made the case, they should be sending much more often than they do yes. with the break in point. You should tolerate the risk and they're too conservative. Mm-hmm. So if if someone started waving more aggressively, maybe they'd think that, that they'd be sabotaging and they'd actually be helping you. Who knows?
2: Yeah, man. Maybe the takeaway from all of this is that base coaches need a baton. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I would welcome that.
2: Yeah, I should have a baton. Okay. Oh, boy.
0: I don't think we can top that. So I will just go straight into a stat blast <laughs> of some sort here. I'm <laughs> looking forward to off season Effectively Wild. Not that it's that much different from any other Effectively Wild. Boat, yeah. But there's even more leeway to get weird when yeah. no no games are going on.
2: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, true. it's
0: kind of a necessity. All right. Yeah,
2: we had to talk about so much baseball in this episode. Jeez, no. <laughs> we wanted to talk about peanuts and batons the whole time. But yet we had to talk about some playoffs. My God.
1: They'll take a dataset sorted by something like A-R-A-minus or O-B-S-plus And then they'll tease out some interesting data
0: okay all right here is uh, a, a couple of questions that were sent in and and of course the stop blast as always is sponsored by tops now but as I look at tops now right now no new cards because no new yeah. baseball right you know um, tops now depends on a constant supply of baseball otherwise what are you gonna make cards about so right. uh, they, I mean, they
2: also object to sweeps, but for different reasons.
0: Right. Yeah. Fewer card opportunities. So they're they're not going to make up something that was mm-hmm. Tops Now worthy. I mean, I guess they could do a card about like, here's what Jerry DePoto said on mm-hmm. this off day. <laughs> Jerry DePoto's- Didn't do
2: it. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Let oh, it be yeah.
0: noted. 54% comment would be a good Tops Now card. And then his <laughs> apology walk back could be the next day's Tops Now card. But, but yeah, we need action on the field and there wasn't any as we speak, but there will be again soon and then there will be new batches of Topps Now cards coming out. So go to tops.com whenever there has been baseball and you can catch up on what is available that day because it won't be available for long. So act now and uh, don't wait at all of those other infomercial terms that, that <laughs> people use. All right. Question from David K. Who said, on the most recent episode of the excellent Nats Chat podcast, co-host Mark Zuckerman shared that Jerry Blevins had called just-retired reliever Tyler Clippard, quote, arguably the greatest setup man in the history of baseball. Zuckerman wasn't sure how to look that up, but posited that it was relievers who have pitched consistently and well in the seventh and eighth innings for a very long time, Mm -hmm. probably a short list. What do you think of what Blevins had to say about Clippard? So, is Tyler Clippard arguably the greatest setup man in the history of baseball? I guess you could argue that he did. So, by definition, that is arguably the case. But is it actually the case? And, you know, it may not be far from the case. So, wow. I just did a, a simple stat head here and I went by baseball reference war and I set. Maximums of fifteen career games started and seventy-five career saves, which I chose to barely admit, Tyler Clippard. <laughs> so <I'm laughs> sorta of stack in the deck here. He had fourteen career games started and seventy-four career saves. So <laughs> You could say that 74 saves is disqualifying. Maybe that's too many saves to sure. be the best setup man of all time. Because if you're the greatest setup man of all time, you should you should just be a setup man. Yeah. You shouldn't even be on the borderline between setup man and closer. No one ever should have looked at you and thought, that guy, I, I want that guy getting the last three outs. He's got right. the closer mentality or the closer stuff. No. I want him to play second fiddle unconducted to some closer <laughs> And if you do, though, use these parameters that narrowly admit Tyler Clippard, then he is fourth all time. Wow. So he's got 15.9 war. Slightly ahead of him is another recent retiree, Darren O'Day, Mm. who I think also is very much in that same category, right? I I would lump those two together. And he's at 17.4 war. Then you have Steve Reed at 17.8. And you have Mark Icorn, who is at 19.2. So wow. there's your Mount Rushmore of setup men by this very narrow definition <laughs> that I just <laughs> arbitrarily came up with to admit Tyler Clippard. But. If I was going to go even deeper in that, then, yeah, maybe maybe I would set the saves minimum a little lower than yeah. that, potentially, because, like, icorn had 32, Steve Reed had 18, Darren O'Day had 21 saves, so Tyler Klippard at 74. It's a little closer-ish for me, yeah. maybe, maybe on this list. So like, there were, if there was ever a year where you were a dedicated closer, yeah. I think that maybe disqualifies you like yeah. 2012 with the Nats he had 32 saves that yeah. year you know he was the closer so right. I did enjoy his career he was you know I, I like a a long-term reliever yeah who is mostly not a closer but is it's like just a dependable bullpen guy you know yeah. you're happy to see him coming out he pitched for 16 years he you know early 20s to late 30s and he was fairly effective the whole way so yeah and uh, he came up when I was still a fan and uh, he was a Yankee, so I have uh, fond feelings. So happy trails, Tyler Clippard, who may or may not have been one of the best <laughs> setup men ever.
2: He had glasses. We love a mm-hmm. we love yeah. a ball player and glasses. like mm-hmm. seriously.
0: Yeah. Okay. now here's another one that was sort of sent to us by another Ben who is a patreon supporter. Are you aware, and I don't know why you would be really, but of the season that Cam Gallagher had this year? Are you aware well, of Cam Gallagher? Let's start there. Yeah,
2: I'm aware of Cam Gallagher. <laughs> he, I am he's familiar a with yeah. the concept of a Cam Gallagher. But yeah. no, I couldn't tell you even one thing about the season that he's had.
0: Well, he is probably happy about that oh, because, really? my goodness... He oh had, no! Yeah.
2: Oh no! <laughs> yeah. How did this guy get 149 plate appearances? Wow.
0: Well, that is an excellent question. So, the thing about Kim Gallagher is that he had not been that bad previously. He's he's a catcher. He's a backup catcher, yeah. right? So, from 2017 through 2022 with the royals he played in 166 games he had 469 plate appearances he batted 240 302 355 which is not good it's Mm -hmm. a 76 wrc plus but it's it's acceptable for a backup catcher who is a good defensive guy and he he was worth uh, 10 framing runs over that period so he was worth 1.4 war in like Yes, season-ish of playing time. So that that's fine, you know, that's sure. that's okay for a backup catcher. But then this season happened. Yeah. Wow. So this season he was with the Guardians, and he was on the opening day roster, mm-hmm. and he was actually on the roster all season. Other than an August stint on the seven-day IL, he was there. He was a constant because the Guardians opened the season with three catchers, one of whom was Mike Zanino.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was released in June, and then they had Mabrys Veloria, who was up for a little while. He was on the opening day roster, so they were carrying three. I think partly because they were worried that Cam Gallagher couldn't hit. Yeah, and and they DFA'd Veloria in April. And then they they had Cam Gallagher, who was the last man standing from that trinity, and he made it. He made it all season long, wow. despite, and here is the big reveal about, uh, by the way, I was wondering how you pronounce Maybreece. I, I assumed it was Maybreece or Maybris. The baseball, pronounce, baseball reference pronunciation says Maybreeze, May, oh, Maybreeze. Oh, that's so
2: nice. How pleasant. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Anyway, maybe they're just trying to make it easy for us. Anyway, Cam Gallagher, he hit technically. Yeah, one twenty six, uh-huh. one fifty four, uh-huh. one sixty eight. Yeah, it's not good when uh-uh. all all of the the slash stats start with a one and then are like in the mid ones. Yeah, that's bad. really not
2: good. That's really bad.
0: Yeah, and. In fact, it's so bad, and this was why Ben wrote in. Arguably, it's, like, the worst anyone has ever been, like, at least in in the live ball era. So if we go 1920 to now, and we set it at 140 plate appearances, and he's a little bit above that. Yeah. He's the worst. Wow. (laughs) 29,815 qualified hitters just in the AL and NL over that period. No one was worse than Cam Gallagher's negative 17 WRC plus this season. Like the the previous worst was Wilbur Wood, who was a pitcher in 1972, and he was at negative 14. And Cam Gallagher is now worse than Wilbur. He's he's sub-Wilbur level. Like (laughs) that is really, really bad.
2: It's really Uh, bad. It's... Like catastrophic, really? Yeah,
0: it is. I I feel for the guy, and yeah, and Ben said pointing this out, like if you if you have, I guess if you set the minimum at one hundred forty plate appearances or more, there have been sixty two pitchers with that many plate appearances, and none of them has hit worse than Cam Gallagher. Now. Ben was saying, you you raised the excellent question of how did this guy get that many plate appearances? Yeah. And, and Ben said that uh, this brings me to Tito, Terry Francona. Mm-hmm. He's had a tremendous run as manager mm-hmm. of this team. And I'm not sure we would have had this successful a decade without him. But... This is one of his more infuriating traits, playing useless or worse veterans over insert player here for no discernible reason. He Hmm. will definitely be missed as a manager, but not as a tactician. So Hmm. I I, I don't know. I I have heard that that's another thing that you hear about a lot of managers, that they're too attached to veterans. I I feel like there are like three complaints about managers and every fan base has them about every manager. (laughs)
1: It's like,
0: like this guy must have compromising pictures of the manager. How is he still getting playing time? That's one. And then the other is like the the bullpen decisions don't make any sense or the the starting pitcher decisions don't make any sense, right? Those are the main ones, I guess, that that you hear (laughs) the most and every manager has has heard that at at some point. But anyway... This is something that Ben is alleging about legendary, potentially Hall of Fame manager, Terry Francona. Like, should he be stripped of his plaque, his his potential plaque for giving Cam Gallagher 149 plate appearances? Or, I mean, you couldn't have anticipated that he would be the worst ever. Yeah. (laughs) But, But his... His, I wonder whether he was like unlucky at least.
2: I mean, he has a one eighty four Babbitt, but like
0: he also has a negative
2: one base BSR. So like, it doesn't seem like like sometimes the guys just slow. You know, I'm like, what are you gonna do?
0: His weighted on base was one forty five, and his expected weighted on base was one seventy two, which is. So much better. I mean, one seventy-two. You can live with that, but can <laughs> so,
2: you? No. He, was, he struck out almost thirty-one percent of the time, Ben.
0: Yeah, and he walked two point seven percent of the
2: yeah, time. Yeah, wow, that's um.
0: Yeah, uh, it was this just,
2: is, <laughs> it's something. It's like a real. It's really something. He had two barrels all season. <laughs>
0: am <laughs> surprised it was that many but
2: yeah wow i feel like we're you know i feel like we're being a little mean to the guy I like guess so. uh
0: yeah you know i feel like sure so, it was sorry, not Cam. fun for him yeah no i'm but, sure it
2: was a nightmare for him
0: but when something that's it's that notable i think it's, it's got to be stat less worthy someone has yeah. the worst season ever with a not insignificant number of plate appearances that's yeah. it's, it's got to wow. be brought up i'm sorry
2: yeah, we gotta say something about it. Probably mm-hmm. here we yeah. are saying or something. Yeah, boy. And then, well,
0: I guess I'll. I'll. Uh, we got one stat blast submission that uh, I can read here. This is from. Zach, who uh, wrote in and said I did a step blast, and he said with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman looking like they're going to finish in the top four in MVP voting, and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Matt Olson also looking like top four finishers, I was curious about how many times the top four finishers have come from two teams mm. in a year. He sent a spreadsheet, which is just a prerequisite if you're going to step blast and submit sure. a step blast. Got to give me a spreadsheet, and he did. He said it was a little less interesting than I had hoped. Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that happens with Stabblast yeah, sometimes, that happens too. To,
0: It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, we, we got to report our our null results, too. It's it's happened 21 times, but if you filter out the times where one team had three players finishing in the top four, so it truly is two and two, then this has happened only seven times before, with the most recent being Dustin Pedroia, Kevin Yuclid's and then Justin Morneau and Joe Maurer in 2008, Twins and Red Sox. So it maybe is kind of rare. It's only happened in 6% of seasons, so we might actually be witnessing something kind of rare. The other question is how interesting this actually is, Mm. and that's something I don't know. (laughs) But (laughs) it did happen in 1952 with effectively wild legend Bobby Shantz, so that is something. All right. Well, yeah. I, he said, uh, thanks for doing so much awesome statistical work. He's going into a career in data analytics. Cool. He's just graduating undergrad. And a big part of that decision, wow, this is <laughs> a big part of that decision was your stat blasts and Aww. your podcasts and fangraphs in general. Okay, that's good. I was I, uh, the I was responsibility like, well, awesome. of it yeah. just being... The fan blast dictating the course of Zach's life, that that was a little heavy for me. But if yeah. it's if it's fan graphs also, then it's yeah. a, a group effort. But yeah. he said this was his first attempt at building some sort of portfolio. So thanks for indulging me, even if it's not podcast worthy. And you know what? I think it was. So I think it was. There you go. You've you've started your portfolio.
2: Hmm.
0: Best of luck to you, Zach. Yeah. And I guess lastly... I wrote about baseball a couple times this week, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> doesn't doesn't happen every week these days that yeah. uh, I write two articles about baseball. Wow. but, yeah, the playoffs started. It was a special occasion. And one was about, the connection between spending and winning that Mm. that we've touched on this season and about how there's uh, seemingly less of one. So I I think I did an update on this at mid-season because I wrote about it then and now I did the final update. And it turns out that at least with the payroll stats I was using and Frequent Stat Blast consultant Ryan Nelson was using, the correlation between payroll and winning percentage this season was 0.08, which is essentially non-existent because yeah. right? it, it runs from negative one to one where one is a perfect correlation where both things move in lockstep in the same direction and negative one is a perfect inverse correlation and they move in different directions. But 0.08, that's just, that's just right in the middle where there's yeah. just basically no kind of connection whatsoever. And this was we went all the way back to 1976 the beginning of free agency and this was the lowest correlation
1: hmm.
0: other than sorry it's it's not the lowest you got all excited but it was it was the third lowest correlation the lowest since 1992 and 1990 there were two low correlation years in there but other than that this was the lowest correlation year so Our sense that something weird was happening or not happening here with the Padres and with the Yankees and the Mets both being disappointing and bad and the Angels – not surprising that the Angels were bad, but, yeah. but they were. It was a, a little yeah. more surprising than it usually is, <laughs> that they were as yes. bad as they were. Fair. And and then you had a bunch of teams like the Orioles and the Twins and the Diamondbacks and the, I don't know, who, who else? The the Brewers, I guess, are kind of, uh, well, the Marlins would be a better yeah. example, right? So lower payroll teams that uh, were successful, and so ultimately it was just a mismatch, mismash, uh, mishmash, 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 mishmash. <laughs> you, you needed, you, you couldn't tell. It was just like someone tossed all the payrolls and records into a bowl and jumbled them up, and yeah. uh, and there was just no no apparent connection. So. I don't know that it means anything. It's a blip obviously in the long run you spend it's going to help you win but and in individual cases it did this year too mm-hmm. notably the rangers but but on the whole it was an anomalous year in that respect and and you can see with the graph that we made that it kind of ebbs and flows like uh at the start of free agency, there was a very strong connection because presumably if you were willing to wade into the free agent market when salaries spiked all of a sudden, then you were you were going to get a big advantage there. And then that kind of faded, went away as uh, free agency became normalized and everyone got into it. And then you see like the collusion years in the mid to late 80s where there's a very low correlation because uh, no one was wanting to spend at all. And then, like in the the mid to late 90s, it was quite high, and that led to all that trouble and uh, panic about uh, competitive balance and Bud Ceiling's blue ribbon committee and added revenue sharing, and then it decreased again. And basically, we've been in sort of a low-ish ebb now for yeah. for the correlation between payroll and winning percentage over the past decade or so with some spikes here or there. But yeah, it has not been a, a period where spending a ton, a ton was a guarantee. It's been sort of a stratified period, but, but not stratified by payroll necessarily.
2: Interesting. Ben? Mm-hmm.
0: I ran a lot of Padres unfun facts for Padres yeah. fans in in that uh, piece yeah. as well trying to explain you know some of this was just extremely fluky that there was such a low connection in that the Padres were a pretty good team that had the record of a not very good team they sort of they took a little bit of the luster off the fun facts at the very end there because they, they won whatever it was, 20-27, and they even won a couple extra inning games. They ended the season hilariously on a one-run extra inning win where Rich Hill got the win. <laughs> so <laughs> that that was not really representative of how the Padres season went, but that's uh, – got them up above 500 and made them a little bit more respectable. So that that sapped a little bit of the oomph from, from the fun facts or the weird facts, but you can still check some of them out. It's all about uh, how incredibly unclutched they were and how bad they were in close games and how much better they were in not close games than the close games, etc. So there's more fodder for you there if you want it. And then I wrote about the Orioles and I wrote about... Prospects call-ups, and I, I may have mentioned this at some point, but they tied for the most Baseball America top 100 ranked prospects to debut over a two-season span, so seven Baseball America preseason top 100 prospects have made their major league debuts for the Orioles this season or last season. And that ties the record going back to the beginning of BA rankings in 1990. I'm sort of disappointed because I thought they might break the record and they would have if Heston Kirstad had been ranked by BA, but he wasn't. He was ranked in a previous season, but not mm. this one. And so he did not count toward mm. the total. But if he had or if, say, they had called up Connor Norby or Jackson Holiday, of right. course, or Kobe Mayo actually wasn't ranked by B.A. either. So that wouldn't have done it. But there were a lot of ways that it could have happened and it didn't quite happen. So I was uh, sort of sort of sad about that. But they they came very close.
2: Say Heston Kirstad again.
0: Hest. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, that was unkind. I psyched you out.
0: I need a conductor to to conduct my pronunciation mm-hmm. of Heston. Only if you have a wand. Only if yes. And I guess the the last notable thing about the Orioles is that like it really was weird that they got so much better again after having gotten so much better last year because that was really 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 rare. When you win that many more games than you did the season prior, mm-hmm. it's it's not an ironclad rule, but it is pretty close to it that you're going to get worse the next year. I mean, it's regression to the mean. It's the Bill James plexiglass principle. There are just very few teams that make strides like the Orioles did last year that then make great strides again. So the fact that they were able to do that, I mean just extremely as we mentioned maybe some luck was was at work but like the in the divisional era let's say since 1969 there were only two teams that won 25 or more games than they had the season before and then didn't go backward the next year out of you know dozens of of teams they all just took some step back except The 1977 to 78 Brewers, who managed to go up by two more wins, and the 1990 to 91 Braves, who went up by four more wins in 92, which bodes well for the Orioles because the Braves went on to dominate the NL East for years and the Brewers won a pennant too. But but those were the best case scenarios that you would barely get better. And the Orioles won 31 more games and then they won 18 more games after that like that is that is ridiculous that they did that i mean you the only team that has done that that has improved by 25 plus wins one year and more than 18 the next is the 1902 to 04 giants who went from 48 wins to 84 wins to 106 wins and that was like weird circumstances where John McGraw joined the team and brought a couple of Hall of Famers with him from his old team and sort of raided the payroll of his or the, the roster of his previous team. So even that, in order for that to happen, some strange stuff had to be going on. And the Orioles did that. So it's uh, pretty impressive, however it happened and whatever happens to them in the division series.
2: Heston Kirstad. Heston Kirstad. Heston Kirstad.
0: Yeah. I also wrote in that piece, uh, Zach Buchanan did a piece for Defector recently about how it seems like mm-hmm. prospects are are getting promoted more quickly. We've yep. talked about that, too. It certainly anecdotally does. And Lucas Apostolaris at Baseball Prospectus ran some numbers on that for me. And it is true that players these days are making their major league debuts with fewer Career minor league plate appearances or batters faced under their belts, Mm -hmm. like noticeably fewer, but it is hard to disentangle that from 2020. Yeah. 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 Definitely. From not having a minor league season that yeah. year, because that obviously is going to lop off some hundreds of plate appearances for those players. But but we've had guys come around even since then, like 2021 draftees or signees who have just taken the express to the big leagues and weren't affected by that probably. So there are all sorts of reasons why I, I think it could be happening, but it's it's just it's tough to untangle that and figure out whether it actually is or whether it's kind of a a COVID artifact. But I, I buy it. There are lots of reasons to think that teams would be promoting players more quickly these days. Yeah. All right. We will end there.
2: Happy Division Series!
0: That will do it for today and for this week. That was a weird one. Thanks for listening. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay almost ad-free, and get themselves access to some perks. Sean, Brandon Lee, But Alive, Adam Mayell, Sam Klein, and Ryan Monahan. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Discord group for patrons only, access to monthly bonus episodes, access to playoff live streams coming soon, discounts on merch and ad-free Fangraphs memberships, and so much more. Check it out, patreon.com slash effectively wild. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can message us through the Patreon site, but anyone and everyone can contact us via email at podcast Send us your questions and comments and intro and outro themes. If you want to join our listener-created rotation, you can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash effectively wild. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his editing and production assistance. We hope you have a wonderful weekend, especially if it's a long weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Enjoy the baseball.
1: Well, it's moments like these that
0: make you ask, how can you not be horny about baseball?
2: Every take hot and hotter, entwining and abutting, watch them climbing
0: mountains about nothing Every stitch wet with sweat Breaking balls back Dormy on effectively Wow, how can you not be
1: horny? When it comes to podcasts How can you not be horny?
0: Hello and welcome to episode 2069 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from our Patreon supporters. No, that's not how it goes. (laughs) Tried to salvage it, couldn't quite pull out of the stall. All right. Hello and welcome to episode 2069 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast presented by our Patreon supporters Wait, I screwed it up again. You oh, did. Man. This day is a disaster.
2: <laughs> we're really, we're just, oh we're having gosh. a hard, we're having a, a hard Fangraphs go here, Ben. Fangrass
0: Baseball Podcast. Podcast okay. brought All to right. you by our <laughs> Patreon supporters. Okay, I can do this. Okay. Fangrass Baseball Podcast <laughs> presented by our Patreon supporters. <laughs> All right. I got this down. I definitely don't have the podcast intro. Yips. This is going to go great.